Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, and we have a great show today with a little bit of a chaser for the week's news. Mm. Tuesday was a little rough. <laughs> Wednesday, little rough. we got a view of what's going on in the world, and here we are Thursday sliding into the weekend, everybody. <laughs> so it's Thursday, and Lon Harris is back for this week in streaming. We're going to talk a little bit about why Netflix might have gone wrong with their uh, Walmartification of content. Talk about the Obi-Wan series and in-scene advertising. Plus, we pick the new show that we're all gonna, including you, start streaming this week, and then we're going to recap next Thursday. I mean, is Streaming Club the new book club? Yes, it, it is. is. Yes. Yes, it is. So uh, stay tuned for that because you, everybody, better get on the jump. You have work to do between now and then. In the news, we're covering the mafia because the mafia used to do its business in secret, but now it's all on Twitter. There was a Twitter spat between Plaid CEO and a Stripe executive yesterday that we are going to break down with some dramatic readings. Hmm. Uh, and then we'll talk about Cameo laying off 25% of its staff. Uh, and then, you know, maybe when dunking goes too far. And then finally, we'll wrap with the news that Elon is going to be CEO of Twitter for a couple of months after the acquisition goes through. And that he lined up some new funding for Twitter and uh, rolled over some very big positions. It's going to be a great show, Molly. It really is. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by iTrust Capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account and still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? Visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. Masterworks. Masterworks is the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the 30,000 person waitlist by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. And MicroAcquire, the startup acquisition marketplace. Start the right acquisition conversations at your own pace. Get free and instant access to over 100,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. Say goodbye to brokers and meet your ideal buyer today. Go to try.microacquire.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. It's Thursday. Welcome to This Week in Startups. With us again, as always, Lon Harris, the Lon's on Twitter. What's good, Lon? Hey, good to be here. What's popping? Oh, the same old stuff, you know. Nothing new. Yeah. When I saw... Lon, I was like, oh, it's Thursday. Yay. Thursday. Yeah, we, but we, we don't streaming. have any shows right now. Becoming so we, Pavlovian. We well, just, I have shows, but you, you, you shows. all are oh. joining me on watching shows. I have right. one new show, new stuff. which we can okay, but we we'll got, talk yeah. about new shows. So we always talk about streaming since the streaming injury, injury, industry is huge. It's also got some injuries right now. Maybe yeah, overspending. So we got a tumultuous we're talk time. today about the business of streaming mm-hmm. and then just some highlights that are coming. Mm hmm. We no longer are having blockbusters day and date released, huh? That's over. That's gone forever, Lon. Just, you know, it's not on there. Well, I, I mean, but... go- gone forever, I, I would say no. We're, we're, we're still seeing this happen. I mean, Marry Me on Peacock was a good recent example. That Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy with Owen Wilson. That opened day and date on Peacock and in theaters. And then uh, NBC Universal just announced this week. They're sending a few other films. They're going to skip theaters entirely and send them straight to Peacock. That oh. includes John Woo's English language remake of The Killer, which is a hugely what? anticipated movie. Yeah, John Woo's directing his own remake of his classic Hong Kong Chow Yun Fat Shoot 'em Up The Killer. Uh, no word on casting or whatever, but that's going to go straight to Peacock. So, hmm. uh, you know, like 
theater owners and exhibitors have been very big on this idea of you know that that was a pandemic thing now that we can go outside again and the air is no longer poison mm. uh, as poisonous uh we're not doing that anymore i don't know if the streamers are all necessarily on board i think that we're hmm. still going to see some experimenting with yeah. these releases all i know the other is interesting, I, got, oh. I got spoiled go because my kids now think yeah. oh we can see dr strange we can see batman we right. can see morpheus and i was like uh, it's only in theaters, and I don't know how long Batman took, but that looked like two months or three months That's in theaters. Six weeks, seven weeks, I think, is what they're what okay. they're waiting now. What's interesting? That's what we're seeing with Paramount Plus. They're doing that a lot with the Paramount movies, like Scream. They grabbed like right from theaters and dumped it on Paramount Plus, and Jackass Forever went within a few weeks from theaters to Paramount mm. Plus. And I mean, it, 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 it's really interesting. It really does depend on the movie, because what I was going to say with the Batman. That ended up doing better on HBO Max than a lot of the movies they didn't put in theaters and just put directly on HBO Max. And that was after a very successful international theatrical run. So exactly. it's starting to look it's starting to look like you don't need to skip theaters. And in fact, playing in theaters makes your movie more appealing to viewers once it arrives on streaming. I think we're probably going to see that again in the next few weeks with Uncharted which was a big hit in theaters and is now going to come to streaming platforms. Mm. I think it builds interest when people know that it was a theatrical film. They feel more like, oh, I got to see this. Scarcity breeds interest for sure. I mean, I was like, mm. come on, the Batman, because I'm not sitting in a the theater that long. So bring right. it. I'm, I mean, I think I'm the three hour thing helped. Too, All the yeah. hype was there. But don't we think the windows have to be eight weeks max? Like, I don't think that this three to six week, six month window. I don't know. I just think the window needs to get shorter. I mean, that's dead. The the window that we all remember from the 90s and the aughts of where it would be several months of a theatrical window, because that was also, there were all sorts of deals that were dependent on that window. There was, you know, when is it coming to VOD and digital? When is it coming to physical media? When is it coming to HBO versus cable versus all these even. other? Yeah. yeah. Right. International used so, to drag three months or something. Right. And so there, there was that big window for all of these different players to kind of get their individual windows. And now we're kind of pushing all that to the side. There's really only one window that matters. Mm -hmm. When do you show up on a service everybody has so they can watch it? What's the ideal? I th I personally, I think it's four weeks. I say six. I'm I mean, very I impatient. You say I six? feel like six weeks worked pretty well. I mean, obviously, look, like the way movies work now by week three, week four, the people who are really eager to see your movie in theaters have seen it. it, it we're a, we're an opening weekend culture. I, I you know, Doctor Strange. People are going to pour into that starting today. It's happening right now. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't I don't know if you need that full six weeks, but I mean, to me, I think that's what we're seeing is that it's a good buffer. It gives people enough time to see it who want to see it in theaters. It builds mm. up that little bit of level of anticipation so that when it does hit Peacock or HBO Max mm. or Paramount Plus. There's a lot of built up interest that maybe there isn't in something like Red Notice, which has big stars, had a big marketing campaign, but then kind of comes and goes and people mm. sort of see it or don't. Yeah. I was a little disappointed because I wanted to see Batman in theaters because I felt like the only way I could really experience it was to dedicate myself to going to a theater and experiencing it as a three hour piece of art and making that commitment. And sure enough, with kids at home, my kids, you know, my my 12 year old, it wasn't for the six year olds, obviously, um, a little too violent, I found out a little, very little troubling, yeah, <laughs> a little bit 
brutal. Um, and uh, seven, basically seven. It was but basically I got it's through creepy. the first hour and I'm like super upset now because I'm like, I want to experience this as one piece of art. And I feel like when I go to a movie theater, I saw Morbius and I actually really enjoyed it as a piece of art and an experience. And so um, I feel like six weeks gives me enough time because I don't want to go during the rush typically, but I am right. going to go see Doctor Strange at like, you know, noon or 1 p.m. This is the other thing when you have kids that happens is you start doing the matinees. Uh, right, like yeah. I love to go. my, my like my total top secret tip for movies is like the nine or 10 a.m. movie breakfast in a wow. movie. It's the best time to uh, see a movie. What do you do? Get a little Captain Crunch? It. You get a bowl of I cereal go and go? All the way to the burbs. I have my like coffee and my little bagel and I'm my brother nice. and I like to because, you know, we just um, I, I also like think that six weeks is just pushing but is okay for you're still in the conversation by the time you see it on streaming because i think that's a big part of it too like i don't want the whole conversation to happen without me Mm -hmm. but like i don't like to go to the movies (laughs) i want to see this this is something i think we're seeing you know like that's so much part of what we're figuring out in terms of all these windows because that's the same with like sort of the binge releases versus the weekly releases that they're all playing around with is you know can you keep the conversation going for longer? What we see with HBO shows is that they build as the season goes on. Like the Gilded Age premiere isn't doing as well as the Gilded Age finale because after a few months of everybody talking about it, people mm. start to come over and check it out. And that right. doesn't happen with Netflix shows because they Emily in Paris season two arrives all at once and everybody watches it on their own time. So I think yeah, you Netflix know, gotta, needs to change gears on that. Perhaps. Well, they're, they're starting. I mean, like the circle is a great example. They've got that reality show, the circle. And so mm-hmm. that arrives over the course of three weeks in batches. So here are the first four uh, episodes, wait a week, here are the next four. Cause you know, reality show, you got to give people time to talk about who they like and who they hate and who's going to hook up with who and all that stuff. So I feel like I the think a lot of what these- makes it feel like it's a chore. Sorry to interrupt. So like no, Ozark, no. the second half of the final season dropped. And I'm like, just, I got to get to the end of this, you know, kind of feeling. Yeah. And I, uh, for the first time, really, I put it on 1.5. I was like, oh, get no. me through this. Oh, you know, yeah, really good. I, I, I like was really final enjoying it previously. And I feel like, I feel like a horrible human. I'm apologize to the artist, Jason Bateman, you know, uh, Laura Linney directed Laura one of those final episodes. You know, and then I was like, at one point I was like, I really should enjoy this artistically. I put it out 1.25 or one. And I was like, <laughs> God, can you imagine you're a director or cinematographer oh, and you built this worst. art and Netflix is like, yeah, you put it out 1.5. I mean, it must yeah. crush their souls. If you are listening to this podcast, I'm betting you already have some exposure to crypto. Certainly we all talk about it enough. And it turns out you can now invest in crypto through your retirement account. That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell digital assets from a crypto IRA. This means you'll actually get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. And iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies to invest in. Unlike the stock market, you can actually buy and sell 24 hours a day. That's part of the whole disruptive crypto thing. If that's what you want to do, just plan your retirement all night long. I mean, actually, that makes me want to plan my retirement all night long iTrust is easy to use and only takes a few minutes to create an account and setting up an IRA is free and iTrust's fees are low, just 1% per crypto transaction. 
So visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. That's itrust.capital slash twist. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees do apply. And cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with a risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. I mean, that's what so much of the Netflix. I mean, there was that there was that great article in uh, I think it was Hollywood Reporter last week about these kind of there were two camps at Netflix. There's the old school Hollywood studio thinking of like, look, we've got to work closely with creators, shepherd these projects through development, make them into iconic shows. And that's how you got stuff like, you know, Grace and Frankie, Orange is the New Black, uh, Stranger Things. But then there was this other camp that was like, look, we can churn out. We got all this money. We've got a limited amount of time. We've got the whole world. We've got to take over and get interest Mm. from people. Just crank out as much as you possibly can. There'll be something to appeal for everybody. And even if it's hate watching, it's just it's just killing them with content. It's there's so much stuff. There's going to be something for everyone. And let let our algorithm sort it out. And I think we're sort of seeing the end point of that now with a lot of shows that you want to go through at 1.5 speed. Exactly. You don't care. Let's talk about this a little bit because that story did come out and we didn't get to it because we were so busy dissecting all of the pieces of severance, which I think was time well spent. (laughs) Um, But this article is really, you know, Mm -hmm. by the way, I went back and I watched the last four episodes again because boyfriend and dissecting, although I felt I was a little unfair. Good one. I see where you're going there (laughs) uh, to the finale the like the fourth time that they did another round of bopping between them i still was like nope it's too long anyway um okay so this article the hollywood reporter article notes that cindy holland who was netflix's vp of content acquisition and original series did seem to be one of the really loud voices pushing for quality saying like no we should go more um high end we should go more hbo they booted her she was let go and two yeah. other executives were given raises to take her place. Now, I'm not saying that's why, like there could have been some whole other thing happening. Who knows? But well, we this do know article that- is, this article was definitely written from like the Cindy Holland favoring perspective. <laughs> like her okay. people were talking to the Hollywood reporter more than the other camp. It's okay. very favorable to her side. But right, that basically is what they make it sound like. Uh, look at that targeted advertising, by the way. <laughs> Oh, wow. For those who are watching the video, Nick, it's producer Nick, (laughs) (laughs) just, I think, just pulled up this page and there's a big old ad for Don Julio. We target, we cookie. This guy guy likes very high-end tequila, so. It's amazing. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) That's amazing. This this could get dangerous. Um, So So this piece uh, was written, as you're saying, like, with the perspective of Cindy Holland, however... So what it says is she was let go. And then uh, this quote unquote Walmartization of Netflix yeah. started where they just greenlit everything under the sun, like go, 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 go. Yeah, there was it was the international head of content. Uh, Bella Bajaria, I believe, is that is that uh, executive's name. And she was kind of the, there. There was if you read the article, it, it, a lot of things came down to the Lifetime series. You which was originally pitched to Netflix. Cindy Holland and her team passed. It ended up mm. going to the Lifetime Cable Network, where it became a modest hit. Then Netflix licensed it from Lifetime, and it became a huge hit on Netflix. Still an ongoing show. They're making season four right now. Uh, and so Bella Bajari is the one who brought it back to Netflix after it was a hit on Lifetime. And it became a little bit of a 
told you so. See, she doesn't know everything. Cindy Holland knocked that she had passed on it when it was still in, in a development sort of stage. Then, uh, you know, they, they talk about a few other projects as well. Cindy Holland was working on Queen's Gambit, which they all thought would be overpriced and bloated and no one would care. And then uh, Insatiable, which was that very controversial show uh, about a sort of a, a teenage girl who had been overweight. Then she loses all the weight and goes on sort of a revenge mission against all the classmates who used to torment her. It was a satirical teen series with this actress, Debbie Ryan, who was who was thin and wore a fat suit for the scenes in which she was heavy. Uh, hmm. Attracted a lot of controversy. And that was a Bella Bajaria yeah. project that Sidney Holland's team was knocking her for. So it became this kind of back and forth about what's the who's the soul of Netflix, to put it in Got we it. crash terms. <laughs> Got it. And then so, Sarandos ended up backing Bella Bajaria, letting go of Cindy Holland, and a lot, you know, from the perspective of this article, a lot of people at Netflix feel like maybe that was the point at which things started taking this wrong turn. Or right. all this content and doing a massive content push is what got them this massive number of subscribers and it's engagement, true. and what got them to, let's say, this, you know, first Netflix waypoint, it was responsible for some amount of growth, quality, then the Walmart got them to another big footprint. Mm -hmm. And then that is not working now in the face of competition. So right. this is one of the things about strategies, like different strategies in hindsight, you know, it, it turns out the same strategy might not work when the environment changes. So in an environment during a pandemic, you know, uh, not having a lot of content wouldn't work. And then coming out of a pandemic, when people have more choices to go on vacation, or maybe see their friends or go to a bar, or, you know, whatever it is doing do, do a physical activity or something god forbid <laughs> like maybe quantity isn't the move maybe it's back to quality now because people have less time and they they can't keep up with all of this so speaking of keeping up with all of this what do you have in the hopper that you're most looking forward to because there's a lot dropping i am losing mm. my mind over the obi-wan six-part series yes um mm -hmm. yeah, very excited very excited for a lot because i'm a of big stuff. fan of the clone wars and i just watched a clone wars episode last night with my daughters the two mm -hmm. sons episode with obi-wan fighting darth maul i won't give any right. spoilers um <laughs> it's been but, out oh, sorry it was a rebels there was a story there's a, there's a series called rebels rebels right. um which takes place you know between episodes three and four Anyway, correct. My daughters wanted to watch it again. They were like, "We want to see Obi Wan again in that show." So I found the the great episode um, where he fights uh, Darth, yeah, Darth Maul, Maul again. So you were right. yeah. are you losing your mind over this one or not? And I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely excited to to check that out. I mean, obviously, suck? are you scared that it's going to suck? I, I mean, I'm, it's gonna be I'm excited, but I'm I nervous. I don't think it's going to suck. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, I, I, I mean, Deborah Chow's doing it. She directed some of the better episodes of Mandalorian. I feel pretty confident about the creative team that's behind it. I think Ewan McGregor, uh, great mm. in that role. The perfect, mm. he's just in the right phase of life too. Like it, they yes. got him at the right time to make this. Uh, but yes. I'll tell you my one caveat here is really, I just kind of don't love the idea of Obi-Wan being very active during this period. He's supposed to be hiding out. Even in the trailer that we got yesterday, mm. there's that scene where he's saying to Owen Lars uh, that, you know, we got to train young Luke Skywalker in the force. And it's like, yeah, when the well, time no, comes, yeah. Well, no, Obi-Wan wouldn't want to. That, that's that's letting Darth Vader know where you are. You can't connect yeah. to the force 
uh, Vader will find you. So hmm. I, I I don't know. Like to me, that that's a big hurdle they've got. I, 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 obviously, they're going to engage with it. We'll in see the if show. they that. You know what about some you, explanation for well? Here's why this is happening, and here's why Luke still grows up and just thinks of him as old Ben the Hermit living in a cave and doesn't know any of this stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. To me, I like the idea of Obi-Wan just like living alone, meditating in a cave for 20 years, waiting for Luke to grow up. Like, I feel like there's <laughs> much more. That's like a, yes, that's yeah. There's like a yeah. mythic sort of legendary kind of thing to that. Mm. And I think that when we micromanage it, go back and be like, yeah, but he was probably doing stuff. He kind of, he kind of mm. cheapen it in, in, a, in a way. But I'm still, I'm very excited for the show. Yeah. I did not I mean, Molly, I, what Boba you, Fett Molly, show. You have some but like, what do you think? I don't have too I mean, I think Star Wars, like, has gotten more comfortable, somewhat controversially, with ripping up the canon. So, yeah. I think this might be a step in that direction. And frankly, like, I'm fine with it. I'm here for more Star Wars content. I'm excited. I like the Ewan. I like the Tuckin characters. I like more Star Wars. But I do want Branch it to be out. good, though, because I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be the Netflixification of Star Wars, where it's just hmm, exactly. quantity over quality. And I do worry a little bit about that. Here's I, the thing. You put Ewan McGregor in it, it can't be bad in my mind. I mean, they would, especially given how good the Mandalorian was. I thought Book of Boba Fett did people didn't like it. I, I kind of digged it in some ways with the exception of the biker gang. Uh, so the mods, I, they're called the mods. I'm still so mad about that. The mods were just, yeah, <laughs> the Gen Z's, just not, the Gen Z, yeah, to little, the token Gen Z's. <laughs> but you know what? It was kind of like every series has to have their Ewoks. You know, there has to be one mistake made. Well, I will yeah. say uh, a lot of people were very down on them having like 60s Vespas in yes. Star Wars, but that's a very George Lucas touch. He loves that 50s and 60s. He does. Car it culture. was a bit of an it was very American graffiti. American graffiti like, yes. It felt like a little bit of a nod to classic George Lucas to me. It I'll was give you that, but why were they sure. so sparkly? Like, I'll give you that, but come on. I mean, sparkles. Been, you know, that's that's also the they was it was just they were like two, you know, less than zero, you know, hipster, you know, I mean, it was like yeah. a it just, breakfast club it just is coming in to fight, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, I just I wanted it to feel more like if you're going to set the whole show in Mas Espa and Tatooine, it's got to feel yeah. more like a real place. I wanted to dig in more to the reality of yes. life. You know, like mm -hmm. there's that one scene where you meet the mods and they're like, there's no work here in Mas Espa. We don't have any way to make money. It's like, I want more of give me more of that. I don't need right. as yes. much of like, you know, like references to the old movies. Yeah, like build let out me know the world, build out the culture. And that that's what yeah. I mean by tuck-ins. Like, I felt like. Rogue One did such a good job of explaining the existence of this different group of people during yeah. this tumultuous time. So it was like, here, there's a group of people and their only mission was to steal the Death Star plans and like, here's yeah. what happened to them. Yeah, spoiler, they excellent. all died. <laughs> it's like, it was just so well done. <laughs> uh, you know my saying, fortunes are made in the down market and they're collected in the up market. It's important to invest through cycles, not just when everything is going at all time highs. And it's also important to diversify. This is all good, basic investment advice. And now you can invest in an asset that is historically uncorrelated with the stock market. I'm talking about blue chip art. I know what you're going to say. How am I supposed to buy one of these multi-million dollar paintings if I'm not rich? Well, Masterworks is an investment platform that securitizes blue chip art and sells shares to any investor. You don't need to be a millionaire or you don't have to bet it all. None of that nonsense. You can allocate capital as it best fits your budget and goals. When I wanted to add a Basquiat to my portfolio, did I go try and buy one at auction? Nope. 
I just bought some shares of a Basquiat on Masterwork. So if you want to join more than 360,000 active members, you can get priority access and skip the waitlist at masterworks.io slash twist. That's masterworks.io slash twist. And see important regulation aid disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. Um, I what's love be one, yeah. The well, chat, well, I, I do want to shout out the chat, by the way, for a possible show for us because they have been talking up Halo this whole time. The Halo series Halo. On so if you guys want to get on board, let's do it. I love I, I mean, Halo was Halo my game. Was yeah. I watched the first one. How many are we in? We're like six into Halo or something? A, yeah, yeah, I think I mean, we're six weeks into Halo. Maybe I'll seven. I'll throw that one into the hat as an option. Yeah. As an option. I, I would be down to talk about Halo. The other one I was going to say, if we do want to do sci-fi, today on Paramount Plus, Star Trek Strange New Worlds debuts. The oh, new Star Trek series. Winner. And this one, it's set right before okay. the classic Kirk Spock Star Trek. So I young Kirk, young Uhura are in this one. Uh, Anson Mount, Chris, Christopher Pike. Perfect. I'm definitely going to check this one out. Let's do yep. it. Let's do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a no-brainer. I just wrote um, it down. We're just closing on the uh, Star Wars thing because I got a lot of feelings. Um, the, <laughs> then we'll come uh, back to business. I yeah. think people, you know, derided the the the, the prequels a lot. And <laughs> it was only until they saw the sequels that they realized like, hey, these aren't bad. Um, but Hayden, um, what's his name? Uh, Hayden Christensen. Hayden right. Christensen gets a lot of bunk about his performance. Um, when you watch the Clone Wars, the animated series, and you see, like, they kind of took that character and, and, you know, let it breathe a lot more. And, and you yeah. kind of got this, like, playfulness, confidence. And then when he gets dark, you, you kind of understand why he, he fell out with the, the Jedi. And Ashoka as his apprentice and his Padawan just fills in a lot. Um, yeah. I think. What they're going to do is they're going to take, if Obi-Wan succeeds, because you and Gregor needs some bang. I mean, he's at that age where he needs to, you know, take down 25, <laughs> 50 million. Um, they need to take Obi-Wan and then immediately Hayden Christensen and, and uh, Ewan McGregor oh. and Ashoka do a little bit of the de-aging or whatever they got to do on makeup and just do the full-on Clone Wars. And huh. that would be tremendous because they're Cad Bane, who you saw in the original uh, mm -hmm. uh, who you saw in Boba Fett is a character from Clone Wars. So they keep mining Clone Wars characters, Ashoka. So the most interesting things in Mandalorian and yeah. Boba Fett, I mean, in my mind, were mines from the is, Clone Wars definitely. series. Which if this you is definitely seen, the Disney Plus playbook. I mean, Dave Filoni, who created the Clone Wars yes. series, one of the co-creators of Mandalorian and Boba Fett, he's really kind of along with Favreau sort of laying the blueprint for the Disney plus star Wars world. And, and this is exactly what they're doing They're They know that this whole generation of, you know, people, your kids age and a little older grew up with the prequels and these cartoons. And that this is to them, this is core star Wars. So you've got Rosario Dawson doing the Ahsoka show. Uh, Hayden Christensen is in this Obi-Wan show. We know. So they're already bringing all these characters back. And, and that's Christian what they're going to do. Nothing going on. Did so, he like I don't know if they're going to re. I know. You I showed know that gonna, picture. I don't know if they're going to recreate events from the Clone Wars series, or they're just going to spin it out in a bunch of different directions. But what you're saying is what they're doing, basically. Yeah. Like this is the and game that, plan. And uh, when I talked to John Favreau about the Mandalorian, uh, we had a conversation about it at an event, um, just socially. He said, you know, he was like, "Well, have you seen the Clone Wars?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I've seen all the Clone Wars like three or four times." He, he loves them, and blah 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 blah. And he, one of the reasons he wanted to do the Mandalorian and all this stuff was because he was such a fan of what Dave Filoni had done. Dave Filoni is like, 
who is it, Kevin Feige? Feige? They've often made that connection of the world builder and the coordinator. Right. Which, which, by the way, DC doesn't have, right? DC's got no Filoni, no Kevin Feige. The the difference is that the way it was always structured was you had the Warner Brothers film executive development team, and then you had the DC Comics film team. And so you you always kind of had two teams instead of one team. Marvel Studios, it's like, this is the team. And it's Kevin Feige and his people, and they make the decisions, and everybody is sort of going through them. But then you you have CW doing stuff. And DC just has that big upsetting mess with Zack Snyder and then the like the whole Justice League. And that's exactly if you look at it, it's Toby Emmerich and Kevin Fujihara and all these Warner Brothers executives who were fighting with the DC people over what these movies should be like and how it should work. So they're they're working now that WB Discovery has kind of taken this over. They're making it sound like they're doing away with all of that structural business and they're just going to have a, a pipeline that's more similar to Marvel Studios that just cranks out DC stuff. They got to just coordinate what they're doing so they can explain it to people so they can buy in so like when i see green arrow or the flash tv show i'm like oh should i watch it then i watch it i'm like what is this schlocky nonsense this wasn't my expectation it's like what molly was saying that greg berlanti does all those cw so they're they're kind of winding this down now we just batwoman and legends of tomorrow were both canceled just this past week I, a lot, listen, I, a lot of people like those shows a lot. Legend of Tomorrow, which was just canceled, was on for like seven seasons and has a lot of fans. I know people liked Batwoman. Uh, Superman and Lois, which is still, they're still making that yeah. one. That one has a lot of fans as well. I mean, pe- people mm. like them. I, they're a little cheesy. It's a little schlocky, but I think that's, a, I think that's okay. Uh, and it doesn't mm. all have to be grim, dark, three hour, the Batman, you know. I would like, just like you can, you can have feel stuff like too. the same universe and some general i don't know i mean i agree with what you're saying but at the same time if you look at the big successes dc has had they're not necessarily all like you had wonder Uh, woman and aquaman from that interconnected world that both did really well Mm -hmm. but then you know what about joker like that joker movie wouldn't have made sense in a interconnected world but it made over a billion dollars and it won, you know, Joker film, film so festivals good. and Oscars. And yeah, so, no, you know, I like, like a wild card like that once in a while. I, like, or the Batman, a, you know, Matt Reeves is not like, mm. you know, you're not going to get Robert Pattinson interacting with the Justice League or whatever. He's doing his own thing. So I don't, and, I don't, I think there's arguments they, to be made for both versions. Did they do it. Logan? No, that's Marvel. He's a that's Marvel, well, right? Well, right, that right. was Fox. That, that's like that the, was Fox, like the Fox, crossover thing where they're Fox meeting and in the Marvel middle. both owned X Men, right, and right, so right. Fox was making X Men movies with sort of like tacit participation from Marvel, right. and that's, that's where why Logan that one was so good. Well, and, that's and that's what Doctor Strange theory, is going to have. Yeah, oh, my yeah. my theory. They're, they're saying that Doctor Strange. I haven't seen it, so this is not a spoiler. They're saying Doctor Strange has some unbelievable, groundbreaking, you won't believe it, cameos that introduce characters to the Marvel Universe. We know Patrick Stewart's in it. That's already been spoiled by the trailer. My guess is that Hugh Jackman is going to show up. I'm sure he is. They started that with the Scarlet Witch. I, 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 right. They, 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 they've been teasing it. We know Professor X is showing up. I bet we get a moment of X Men. They're so totally getting X Men are my favorite. I love that X Men series. Days of Future Past. What a masterpiece. I have like, I have not very much actual art in my life, but I do have a long time ago, there was a comic artist who made dinosaur X Men 
And oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Four frame Dino X Men down in the downstairs, and sometimes like actual adults will come into my house and be like, "What is what this?" Is that? Yeah, well, I mean, they're go, definitely wanna... coming back one way or the other. Yeah. We'll get we're getting new X Men soon. Before nice. we let you go, quick business update uh, on the business of streaming. Peacock is now introducing in scene ads. Yeah, that I want to ask Excellent. you about. As also Netflix and these other streamers have these conversations about an ad supported model in the case of the peacock thing exactly like these ads will be dynamically inserted like a video game so you can see we have a example jurassic world dominion being advertised yeah which yes please um i just i wonder to what extent is two things one is the ad industry so stoked because digital advertising turned out to be a little bit of a fraud because Things like Facebook kept overstating the metrics. TV, mm. everybody skips unless it's live sports. There hasn't really been ad-supported mm. streaming on sites like Netflix and HBO. Like, is this actually a little bit of a revival for the advertising industry slash going to ruin our viewing experience completely? I mean, so far, streaming has actually been pretty good for ads. These ad-supported free services are more popular than I think most people expected. Your your Tubi's. Uh, you know, your your sort of Roku channels, those those kinds of platforms found a big audience. And I think that uh, the ads are not as omnipresent as they are on like basic cable. If you're watching a Bravo show, you're being interrupted every three to five minutes for a few, you know, few ad breaks. And on streaming, it's less oppressive. And so I think people mind it less. So uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously, if they could start even integrating it into the shows that that's going to work even better. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of counterintuitive because at first you would think subscription services were all the rage. We all just assumed everybody will pay for Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu, and then that'll be it. And they're, that's what they watch and they have their subscriptions and there's no ads. But I think we're, we're seeing that more options people are willing to check out it, as long as they can keep costs down by having some ads, they're willing to, to do it. Hmm. Uh, you know. Uh, sometimes when an artist wants to have a Heineken, you know, or a Diet Coke for a specific reason, or a Tesla or an Austin, Austin Martin or something, you know, and it's on brand, I kind of like this. James Bond comes to mind, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Austin oh, sure, Martin yeah. pays to, for that inclusion, I'm sure, but it's on brand. It feels like that's what he would drive anyway. Yeah, the so big knock where there were a few Ford, movies where... There were a few movies where Bond drove a BMW because they paid instead of Aston yes. Martin and not the, the, the diehards didn't love that. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah, that felt a little. But I do love during... that about the Mission Impossible movies. What's that? They what have are a that? lot of. Are, is that the one that they always have the cool BMWs? Is that the one I'm thinking about? Yes. Maybe not. Maybe I'm yes. thinking of that. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, a, a funny joke too. a lot of Avengers movies, Tony Stark is driving a Saab because they're the ones that paid it. It's like, I don't know if Tony uh, Stark. No, they had the Audi RX6. Audi, that's true. You're right. Audi. That's Audi. Back in the yeah. day, okay. that was like the hottest yeah. car on the planet. And remember so, briefly, they had Acura and that was just like, no, no, Yeah, no, no, Tony Stark no, no, will so drive boring. whatever, whoever is the highest bidder. The Audi, I was 100% yeah, So this for. shows you like this can take, the fact that we can talk about this can show how it can take you out it of the narrative. It can really work. Well, yeah, it can really too. work when executed well, and it can also take you out of the narrative where you're mm -hmm. like, he's driving an Acura? What? Right. Tony I, Stark I mean, I think at this point, product placement so omnipresent in Hollywood films, I doubt we'll really note. I doubt this will be worse, so much mm. worse that we will even notice. Mm. 
Uh, I was I just watched Uncharted and there's a whole scene where Mark Wahlberg is not only in a Papa John's location, but verbally <laughs> shouts it out like, hey, I'm inside of Papa John's right now. And it's like, that's the level Stop. of product place we we're getting. That's where oh, yeah, I mean, like, this is probably less bothersome than that. You know, I mean, we'll yeah. we'll we'll see how intrusive it is. I, I feel like it's stuff like the the ad in the background of that shot. A lot of people probably won't even notice. Yeah. Micro Acquire is a startup acquisition marketplace that cuts out everyone in the middle. Basically, this means they help a startup get acquired super efficiently. Yes, if you're a founder looking to sell, Micro Acquire is free, it's private, and nobody is going to get into the middle of your deal and insert their motivations, which might not be in your best interest to date while they've helped hundreds of startups get acquired. I kid you not. And they've facilitated hundreds of millions of dollars in closed deal volume. Their platform includes over 120,000 buyers that pay $390 a year for a subscription. And thousands of startups currently are listed for sale at Micro Acquire. They've had hundreds of successful acquisitions so far. So founders can get free access instantly to over 120,000 trusted buyers and you're going to stay totally anonymous. On the other side of the marketplace, again, buyers are paying that $390 a year so you know they're serious. Micro Acquire will help you find a buyer for your startup. It's as simple as that. Buyers can browse listings for free and the platform is totally free for sellers. Sign up for a premium subscription right now for just $390 a year to access all these great deals at try.com microacquire.com slash twist once again try dot micro m-i-c-r-o acquire.com slash twist uh all right so i think we have our show for next week we'll go with uh star trek strange new worlds strange new worlds i bet they'll put two up for the debut week all right. So whatever numbers are out for Thursday, even if it comes out Wednesday drop, we all agree we'll be fully caught up by Wednesday night. Yes. Okay? And that yep. means you too as the audience. Thanks, Lon. Everybody follow at Lon's. And uh, is that the new betting back there or did we not get no, that? No, I yet? haven't. We, I, I, I chopped around. I got all caught up in my bed bed shopping i will uh i will figure something out and send Guys, some options to the I, team by next thursday i want to i when, when long comes on air this I is this is on, to be don't, please don't blame the producers this is all on me well i i uh i i threw it back to long because i don't want to get him expensive bed sheets that he doesn't find comfortable this this one's on me i want his review of them uh, if he if this one's on me ones, i will get on this it, by next week just send him them and then if he doesn't like them, we send them back. Long gives a review and then you're my gifting concierge producers here. Oh. Ooh. My gifting concierge team Very for my fancy. producers. Uh, we're doing gifting now. I want to get a gift. You know, Mike Ovitz had the gifting suite at CAA yeah. and they talked about that. It was like legendary. Speaking of gift bags, like we talked about earlier. So I got a little gifting suite going on here. A little gifting. Might have might be gifting some warriors tickets this saturday night mom we, you keep your saturday night open i may have gotten gifted all right <laughs> pretty legit seats <laughs> i just basically no promises but <laughs> basically everybody in my life just went to the to the curb to the curb <laughs> friends <laughs> might 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 be might get gifted some could be good for branding all right uh right, long great guys. job we'll see you soon stay safe see you soon happy That's watching happy streaming. happy streaming we need a, like a little everybody. like a little punchy catchphrase for long. happy streaming yeah happy streaming yeah stick with us happy streaming stream on may the stream be with stream you on. stream Aww. on stream on i know we really kind of missed our opportunity to have them on yesterday for the may the 4th 
Ah, we caught up with that. I think our Obi-Wan discussion did a lot of fan service there. I felt we got pretty, there. We pretty got good there. about that. All right. Let, we got more news to cover Let's today. Let's do a little news. We Let's got get things. into it. Do we want to talk about the Stripe Mafia? <laughs> yeah, we do. Story? I mean, startups are so interesting. Like, Yes. It used to be like we all knew about these like uh, dramatic things happening here in Silicon Valley. And now I guess the, dare I say, Elonification of Twitter, where like every fight is just out there. Or maybe I yeah. contributed to this too a bit. <laughs> uh, we're being totally candid. I take a little ownership. But mm -hmm. I guess every fight has to be public. So like me fighting Apparently. Mark Andreessen and, you know, me talking about it publicly, people are like, why would you ever do that publicly? Is that bad for business or whatever? I'm like, do I? Oh, sorry, gotta stop cursing. I'm like, what the heck do I care? Now, uh, I got to give Breslow a shout out because he yeah. started this whole thing. You got to admit, he started with FinTech with so sharp elbowed, but here I we go. A real, so somebody sent me before we even get into this, somebody sent it to me, was yeah. like, have you seen this thread? And said, quote, my new vice is Twitter bro founder scandal scandals. It's a genre yeah. now. It's a genre. It is. It's its own. This is going to be us. I mean, if we think about the Veranos WeWork universe, mm -hmm. the the, uh, the we got to come up with a venture capital universe. The VCU. The VCU. <gasps> yeah, this is the VCU. The venture capital universe. God damn it! Why is Lon gone already? The, the VCU. VCU. We have to architect the VCU Holy here because crap. it's starting that, to emerge. This is going to be a great is that you are limited available? run series. Yeah, VCU.co? Hello. Yeah, exactly. It is the VCU universe. So here oh, we go. my God. Yeah, here In we go. In the VCU universe, uh, Law and Order VCU. <laughs> well Damn, done, Rachel. Damn, good punch up. Rachel, good punch up. Um, this is incredible. Here we go. The Stripe right. Mafia. Stripe Mafia. Is, Do we, should, uh, we go, should we understand the players first? Set up the characters sure, yeah, for yeah, us? You set this up, Molly, as only Molly Wood can do. All right. but So we're going to get into the story because there has been yet another chapter of mm. the Stripe Mafia um, dum, dum. Chronicles. The Stripe Mafia Chronicles. Bum, bum. Let's talk about our characters. Zach Parrott is the CEO of Plaid. He with the beautiful surfer locks, mm. which builds software. I don't know if you've ever seen Zach Parrott, but the dude has some like golden lock surfer hair. It's okay, objectify him. He's, he's, uh, it's fascinating. Good. It's just a, it's a, the hair is like... He's, a, a, he's got good hair. I always comment on great hair. Really good hair. Uh, right here. Plaid, of course, builds software that enables apps to connect with users' bank accounts. So, like, if you buy a car on mm. Carvana, Plaid is what enables the transaction and makes it secure. Yes. So, it's it was, like, a big innovation. Jay Shaw is a business lead at Stripe who okay. appears to be leading something called Stripe's new financial connections platform. Hmm. And the new business line for Stripe looks pretty similar to Plaid. I mean, it is Plaid. I mean, financial connections is the description of what Plaid is. It actually really is. It's basically yeah. like you took Plaid and you stripped away the cool name and the good hair and you just made it, like, made it a feature, <laughs> made it a feature. So Jay tweets about the announcement of financial connections. Yay! We're launching financial connections today, enabling Victory businesses lab. and their customers to safely share their financial data. Businesses can go directly to Stripe to access a privacy first authentication flow and our new data API. The classic Fine. Twitter victory lap. Victory lap. What can and go then wrong? Plaid CEO Zach what? Parrott responds. Uh oh. Wow. I'm not making that up. Wow. Exclamation point. Jay, you took interviews with Plaid and asked probing questions multiple times over the past few years. And your team sent repeated RFPs under NDA to ask us for tons of detailed data. I wish you all the best with these products, but surprising to see the methods. 
RFP mm-hmm. being request for proposal and mm-hmm. uh, NDA non-disclosure agreement if you're new to the industry. So what he's saying here to translate is you guys pumped us for information under NDA, uh-huh. under false pretense, and then photocopied the product. Yep. Okay, so there's your story. Nothing else happened, I'm sure. <laughs> no, definitely not. No. Uh-uh. Except that Jay responded Uh-oh. and said, Here we go. <laughs> and said, Zach, sorry you feel this way. Oh boy. Which is always, woo. But this go. isn't true. Your feelings. That is and a little I, bit of a troll. I'm sorry you feel really that way. It feels like couples therapy. It really does. I'm sorry you feel that way is always just like, oh, you did not. Oh, he did. Sorry you feel this way, but this isn't true. And I think you know that. You reached out to me repeatedly. I never reached out to you for information. Stripe oh. did an RFP because we work with partners for this product and we had hoped to include plaid oh my god so many levels hold on i just need to get my paper towels here because so much tea has spilled i'm gonna need to <laughs> I'm gonna get my red flag too here. i'm this getting my red flag everywhere. for sorry you feel this way <laughs> so let me um yeah <sighs> <sighs> rachel wow. got the one-liners today i don't know man the, rachel's adderall is kicking in here dude she, rachel is hilarious <laughs> Rachel, is everyone hilarious. follow Rachel on Twitter because she yeah. is a machine. She, she, she's got the Twitter thing on dial. She's Rachel. This is giving me toxic college boyfriend vibes. It really is. Really, it really is. I'm sorry you I'm feel so, that I'm way. I'm so sorry that they banned everybody's uh, instant Adderall online. This uh, isn't but, true, uh, and I think you know that. Ooh. I mean, that is like ooh, ooh, ooh gaslighting. Like well, he's like, and we had hoped to include plaid. It's like. Right. We, you were thirsty. You screwed it up. You were sliding into our DMs. Yes. And I have the receipts. And child, not only were you sliding into our DMs. We didn't want to We were going to include you in the party, <laughs> but. <laughs> but we didn't. So then you know oh, our no. content king, Ryan Breslow, could not stay the out Ryan of this king, The Ryan King slid in. He's blocked the, me. I can't even see this. Oh, and then the Ryan King, of course, shows up on cue. The Ryan King signal was was broadcast into the air, and he was like, oh, bummed that this happened to you, Zach. Empathy. Thank you Empathy for on speaking 100. up. Stripe mm. does this because they can. Most are too afraid to call it out, but the tide is turning. Wow, look at this. He's literally like an empathetic Batman. They threw up the dancing Grateful Dead bear. <laughs> Startup Batman. They put the, you know, the, the bears, like the dancing bears from the Grateful Dead. If you're being harassed by Stripe, just put that signal of a dancing Grateful Dead bear. And the Ryan and the King Ryan will be King's there. He's going to be sliding into your DMs. Brian, on you cue. can unblock me. It's okay, bro. Come it's on. Okay, we bro. love you, bro. We love we you. We love you, bro. Come we on. We unironically love you. He's Startup Batman now. And then um, in comes everybody, right? In comes Antonio Gartina, Garcia Martinez, who's like, I love how what AGM. used to be behind the scenes drama is now totally public and out in the open. Yes, this, what I was just saying. Yes, exactly. And he's like, this sort of thing used to happen all the time at every company you can name, but feature only in word right. of mouth lore. And now everyone spectates <clears throat> on the blow up, which makes me wonder if the Ryan King is right, that the tide is in fact turning. Yeah, everything's public now. Everything's full contact, and I like it. I'm here for it. I like a full contact, no bull. Let's just keep it candidly out there. Yeah. Um, amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of agree. Like, why we all have the stuff that we say, and then we have the stuff that we say out loud, and yeah. then we have the stuff that we say about business, and business is all just people. You know, 
it's like th- there's things that you can speak about and there, you know, sometimes you can't, right? So uh, you, you have to uh, use your judgment here of when it's time to speak up. So you basically got to pick your battles. You got to pick the hill you want to die on. You got to pick your fights wisely because enemies accumulate. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself in the awkward position of like, you know, listen, Andreessen Horowitz and I don't get along, but it's really Mark Andreessen and I don't get along, but he's a fan of the pod. We got a lot of besties in common. Uh, you know, David Yulovich is a close friend of mine. He's come to All In Summit. He went to work there. So, you know, it's all of a sudden these things become into gang wars when, you know, like I'm friendly with a lot of people at, at A16Z, in fact, and, and you know, Superhuman I invested in and then Andreessen Horowitz invested in. So, you know, you can, you can have like little funny battles, uh, but this one is turning out to get be real. M- it's getting a little more real now mm-hmm. because I think what we're going to see is a group of people lining up on pro Stripe side, people who own shares in the company. And then you have a group of people who feel like this company is behaving in a way, whether that's true or not, that is predatory. And uh, I'm not making a judgment on that. I don't know that they're predatory. I don't know that they're not. And they're, and, playing you know, hard. A, they're playing hard. Well, and Zuckerberg, I have been very outspoken. He just steals mm-hmm. everybody's ideas. I mean, I exactly. made a joke on CNBC, like, it's amazing what a great job um, Evan Spiegel is doing at uh, Snapchat, especially since, you know, he's CEO of that company while being product manager of Facebook, you know, because they hey just steal all those ideas. Hey yeah, exactly. Uh, I got you. There. <laughs> I, maybe I didn't tell that. I didn't, I had, the, I, I dropped the joke better when I said it. was it, a slow know? burn. It was a slow burn on my yeah. part. That was my fault. That was my fault. No problem. No problem. No problem. Um, <laughs> Fuego and, lento. Especially since he's doing two jobs. Uh, <laughs> and so... We, you know, people do steal from each other. People do pump people for information. And mm-hmm. is it actionable or illegal to copy a product? No, no. Um, yeah. You could look at Twitter and make a literal photocopy of it. People have. Mm-hmm. People make an open source products that are a copy of Facebook or whatever. Kind of how the world works, right? Yeah. And uh, what you want to do is build an organization for founders who are listening that can constantly innovate because just copying somebody, you don't know why they made the decision. So sometimes you copy somebody, like let's say the the features that Plaid, um, if they copied a bunch of features and they don't know why they made them, they may have made mistakes and copied things that Plaid's going to deprecate down the road or mm-hmm. that don't work or that Plaid mm-hmm. would not rebuild again. So you just have to be careful and be thoughtful and have a team that's actually understanding the customer base, not just copying, right? Right. And uh, to and be fair, good. there's yeah. no reason in the absolute ever loving universe that Stripe would not have a feature like this at all. It's, uh, like from a business perspective, it actually didn't even make sense that sure, Stripe did not be on have the a plaid. Like it's going to be on the roadmap. I don't doubt that on some level they probably did pump plaid for information and probably under the guise of maybe not even under the guise. They may have legitimately thought we mm. should partner with plaid or bring them on or even acquire them. And then decided, no, we can build them this ourselves. That happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Zach Parrott, come on the pod. Come on, man. I, I, I DM Zach. Good. Uh, he should come totally on come on the pod. Because I mean, for I one think thing, it is a transformative product. is good and like, get, yeah, get some, get some exposure for Plaid out of this. Um, he's almost come on a lot of times. I, my understanding is he's a fan of the pod. So uh, comms it's team. Easy. Remote, come on the pod you, you know we'll, we'll have a we'll have a discussion it's not going to be like gotcha journalism or anything like that we'll just have a discussion about like what's the product how are things going and you know um you yeah. know how do you feel about them as a competitor that's it 
Yeah. Um, but they did have that visa acquisition. If you remember, they almost spacked. I mean, right. Plaid's right. a great business, but they, they've had what some was choppy. The deal? Visa almost bought them and then it was broken up. It was a DOJ think, thing. Is that what happened? I think that might've been what happened. Yeah. I'm trying to remember it. You know, my memory is usually rock solid for these things. And I, I actually don't remember in that case. Turns out there's well, kind of a lot going on in the world these days. It's hard to keep it all straight. They uh, they called it off due to regulatory. Right, it really was that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that, yeah. So I don't think they were blocked, but the scrutiny was so high that they felt like maybe the chances that they could get it through would be low and it would take a long time. Hmm. Um, Interesting. The DOJ had some concerns clearly made some noises all right well let's uh let's keep rolling there's a lot of little news tidbits to get through cameo cameo layoffs i think that's kind of interesting because i got into it with some people who were dunking on the founder uh cameo um i remember who was the vc you had on that was an investor in cameo and had that great line about how it was too stupid to fail no i don't remember it was hysterical he's like sometimes from Kleiner Perkins, I think, did the latest uh, round. I can't remember. It was pretty. It was a pretty recent interview. Mm, okay, that I was not on. It was like one of those like year old homie that, and he just he was like, and then there are sometimes sometimes there are ideas like Cameo that are too stupid to fail, and I was like, I'm writing that down. That's amazing. Um, anyway, Cameo too stupid to fail, and maybe so smart that they like all these other startups are starting to uh, make some cuts in response to changing conditions conditions cameo laid off about 87 employees that's 25 percent ish of the company including though and so that is significant it also included however the cto the chief product officer and the chief people officer okay so, so is there more than just course correction happening here we've had this discussion there mm-hmm. is this term, never waste a crisis. Uh, yeah. I think it's a political term. I don't know where the origin of the term. Somebody can educate me. Producers at thisweekinstartups.com. Um, when you have a crisis like this, you might be looking at your team and saying, hey, who's overpaid and not bringing it? And then who's their number two and number three? And you might say, you know, our chief product officer really should be the CEO. And the chief product officer is getting paid 300, 400 grand. They got two percent of the company and they haven't been in the office they're not coming up with great ideas but hey the number two and three people are kind of crushing it and they're in figma or envision all day making these mock-ups and they're coming up with all the ideas mm-hmm. and then you might be like you know our cto is out to lunch and overpaid and our yeah. chief people officer uh is unnecessary we're just gonna have hr now we're not gonna we're not hiring a ton we're gonna be at this size for a year or two so we don't need them either. Mm-hmm. So this shows me maturity. Mm-hmm. This shows me a high degree of maturity, which is, hey, we're going to make cuts. We're going to make them up and down. It's not going to be the people on the bottom. It's not going to be the people on top. It's going to be the people who are either redundant, unnecessary, or overpaid, or some combination of that. Now, this sounds really cutthroat. Well, actually, I feel like we should course correct ourselves here because I'm looking a little further down in our notes, and it turns out, and this what you're saying may be true, and or also uh-huh. Chief People Officer, outgoing Chief People Officer Melanie Steinbach wrote uh, oh. on LinkedIn that all four of those execs wrote themselves onto the list in order to save more members of the team. Sepuku, right? Wow! So, so they literally actually <laughs> so committed I feel like ritual suicide to <laughs> apologies if we suggested wow. otherwise. But it seems like, in fact, That's these unprecedented. four unprecedented. I, I I know totally. I was like, wait, 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 stop! This is not the story that we think it is at all. Hold That's on, That's a huge deal. That is very cool. Okay, yeah. The four executives who left: Rob Post, Emily Boschwitz, Nundu Janakaram, and me all wrote themselves into the list in order to save more members of their teams. 
And in recognition, mm. I'm like, going to tear up? That's amazing. Even if it's not true, it's a remarkable thing to write. In recognition of the readiness of the teams they had built to face the work ahead of this company. All right. So again, <laughs> playing cynics here. Um, <laughs> usually when you do this, it's because you are going to do it for performance, et cetera. Now, they say they're doing it because they uh, wanted to do what was best for the team. Third possibility. So if mm -hmm. you've ever seen the Kurosawa film Rashomon, there's like your version of the truth, my yep. version of the truth. And the truth the is always truth. somewhere yes. in between. Yep. What could have happened here is CEO says, board says, hey, we think your positions are not uh, going to make it through this round of cuts. And they say, hey, you know, I don't disagree. And I was thinking of moving on anyway. So it's kind of like that breakup discussion where it's like, is this working? And you're like, do you think it's working? It's like, right. I'm not so sure. And I'm not so sure either. Maybe we should take a break. I think we should take a break. I I'm sorry. I can't even remember who suggested that we're breaking up, <laughs> but we're breaking up, right? Oh kind of what might have happened here. And then the CEO, uh, board, whoever is driving this, rightfully says, okay, for the protection of their reputations, if they want to, this was their idea, great. Again, I don't want to be cynical here. We can't know the truth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but, but uh, it's true that if you only need, I mean, Nick points out that if you, you might need some execs for scaling that you don't need for just maintaining, keeping the plane level. Mm. You put it on autopilot. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of redundancy in these companies. And, you know, it's, uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of this if we're actually going into a recession and late stage funding isn't available. We're going to see a lot of this with the companies that raised a series C, D, E, perhaps even Bs, who just, you know, quite reasonably thought every round of funding has been up and for larger amounts. And people want to keep calling us to throw more money in. Every time we make an announcement, people say, hey, can I get in that round? Is it still open? And so if founders and boards see rounds closing with ease, they might very reasonably think, well, this, the ABC were so easy to close that the D is going to be even easier. It's gotten mm -hmm. easier every, every, every time. Therefore, we don't need to keep more than 12 months in the bank uh, because we should optimize. And we talked about this as well on the show. Yeah. So now what we're going to see is people saying, you know what? We may not get last round's valuation until we triple, quadruple, you know, five, six, seven X our revenue. Okay, that's going to take three years. If we double every year, you know, it's going to take a couple of years for us to get there. Therefore, maybe we got to get there on the money we have. Or if we do raise, it's going to be a bridge based on the last round. Yep. You put all that together, there's going to be a lot of these. I suggest yeah. um, people refrain uh, from dunking on these. It's quite painful for people. Now, it's easy to dunk uh, on these uh, and the situation. And we have dunked. We are guilty of dunking. Sure. And Mostly so some, on Dom. <laughs> well, and so- But Dom had employees who lost their jobs and that part really is painful. Right. And so yes. here's the thing. There will be situations in which there's fraud. Theranos. Yeah. There'll be situations where there'll be mismanagement uh, and just crazy, poor management, poor board decisions. I would probably put fast into that. Um, you put we work into that. Are, are those worthy of criticism? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, a place where maybe we can, you know, maybe find a little bit of room for kindness 
uh, you know, my experience having we been through this should. multiple times. We always should. Yes. Is when Kindness people are kicked nothing. to the curb and losing yeah. their job. So yeah. uh, somebody at TechCrunch, I don't know the person, but they, they do a crypto podcast over there. I was like dunking on the CEO of the company. You can read what they said there. Um, mm-hmm. He said, so, uh, I'm sorry, but you got to at least temporarily change the board ape avatar when you tweet out that your startup is making layoffs. Okay. I get it. I get it. Uh, Steve. Uh, Galanis, who was on the program, who's the CEO, uh, Mr. 312. Not only does he have a board ape, you know, he's got the NFT uploaded to Twitter, which makes it like a, what is that? What's a six-sided called? It's not an octagons eight, rectangles four. What the hell is a six-sided object called? Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's been a like while. A, like, I know, I'm, I'm like forgetting a sec- everything. Like a, I'm like a sexagon. You tell you're old. Like- <laughs> you don't remember anything from. I don't think it's called school. a sexagon, but I do now want to start a band called Sexagon. It's pretty sexy, that gone. Uh, sexy gone is pretty awesome. cool. That's awesome. Hexagon. Hexagon. Thanks, Miguel. Thank you. Hexagon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I call it a sexagon now forever. Oh, that's a sexy gone. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, there. Look, everybody, when, if there are layoffs and there's there are layoffs at a company who's hmm. uh, too stupid to fail, right? So, like, not an obvious, like, need in the world like Cameo. And it appears that the CEO hmm. is spending stupid money on board ape sexagons like the i i unfortunately these reactions are to be expected in the hellscape that is twitter yeah but and also have some freaking empathy have a little empathy so i said people are losing their jobs no need to dunk here to which this uh journalist uh and this is where like i think this is why the new york times is asking journalists maybe spend a little less time on twitter Mm -hmm. uh and and maybe put it more into stories uh or you know in his case i guess his podcaster and he, he got back to me and was like, listen, I'm not going to get into this debate or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I do think like for journalists, like the dunking, and then somebody called me out on my, uh, my saying Twitter um, could be done with like half the number of people. So I, I thought mm-hmm. this was actually a particularly productive dialogue. Uh, so, so he said, pretending, uh, this is Lucas Matney, Matney. Mm-hmm. Uh, blue check mark, he's a journalist at TechCrunch, pretending like the hurt of downsizing is evenly spread between founders and the people who are getting canned isn't a game I'm interested in playing. I, I, I don't understand the response exactly, but I said, listen, everyone will be fine. Ultimately, these are tech workers in the modern world with 11 million plus job openings waiting for them, i.e. there's 11.5 million jobs in the United States, hardest ones to fill the tech one. So folks will probably get months of paid recreation and a raise, at least in my experience, which is the absolute truth. So here we are in the West with tech workers. Man, do they get treated overall amazingly when compared to a factory in china that gets shut down and you don't get paid for the last two weeks you worked <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. that's kind of how it works and there's no safety net so yeah your tweet struck me as a bit mean-spirited so uh, and somebody rightfully called me out like hey about twitter you know you right. i was you saying, saying like, hey, listen, twitter could the... be done with two thousand employees instead of mm-hmm. eight mm-hmm. and so you know i think making commentary about how many employees it takes to run a company and doing that strategic analysis is different than in the moment people are losing their jobs. So in the moment, if there was, you know, uh, layoffs at Twitter or whatever, yeah, I'm not going to go out there and dunk on them and be like, haha, as you know, they're leaving the building. And you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, just a, it's a, it's a horrible feeling when you lose your job and you're laid off, because it has nothing to do with you. But you maybe really believed in the company. I've done three layoffs, four layoffs of note in my life, doc well, on there, and 2008. Right. It's, it's distinctly different analyzing a business. And should they do this or not? Because Twitter did go sideways for a decade. And the people on the inside have all told me universally, the reason we're not making this work is because we're so bloated. Right. That's, that's, the, that's the word from the inside of the company long before Elon showed up 
long before Jack got a second tenure. You know, I'm talking well, about in the Dick Costello era, people were questioning the number of people working there. Yeah. I, what I would say. Yeah. What do you think? Without, with, while refraining from dunking on, mm-hmm. you know, while see, while people are getting laid off is that an up market will encourage a lack of discipline. And so it is a 1, little frustrating yeah. because it, it, because these, this, this pain is not felt evenly, right? Like that's Lucas's point. The CEOs who are doing the laying off are not necessarily, they're going to feel pain. The, and yeah. that's the part he misses. It is very painful as a leader to have to lay people off. That is a, mm-hmm. that is a failure, right? You feel the failure of that. However, that pain is not necessarily felt equally. And these companies maybe weren't as disciplined as they could have been in their own hiring. Like mm-hmm. they got drunk on an upmarket and got for too sure. bloated and now the employees pay for that. And so I think there's like, it's a little bit fair to say, yes, I understand CEO that you're feeling pain as a result of laying these people off, but did you have to be so big in the front? Did you like go crazy? Did you Don Julio them or not? Yeah. I don't and know. that would be a great thing to do in an investigative story, not right. just a one-off tweet. So as a journalist, you're damaging the brand you're working for by just dunking on people. When you could just do a story, like actually dig into it. Like, is there malfeasance here? Is the company mismanaged? Like, okay, sure, that's a fine story. Uh, do an analysis of it. Right. But just dunking because he happens to have a board ape. What if he bought the board ape for 10K and it's now worth 300K or whatever these things are worth? Like, okay, he made a savvy purchase of a piece of art. Like, <laughs> this is like when they show somebody's home. It was like a home. little funny, though. It was like a little funny. Well, that's why I called it a dunk. I get yeah. why it releases dopamine. Good point. It's, it's a dopamine Literal release. It's a, it's a literal dunk. It's like mm-hmm. when you dunk on somebody and then you flex when they're on the ground. There's no need to flex and walk over the person, you know, and nutmeg them because they, yeah. use, it's not exactly the term of nutmeg. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just going to say to Draymond Green them, but you went well, for the more descriptive version of that. Well, that would be when you get hit in the nuts, but a, a nutmeg uh, right. is <laughs> when you, a nutmeg is in basketball <laughs> when the ball goes between your legs to for an assist uh chris paul you know uh, being the master of the nutmeg gotcha. um but anyway you don't have to just like actually who was it who walked over the person i think it was alan iverson who did the step over there's a yeah. famous clip of alan iverson stepping over somebody after he you know ty lu after the, the who's now a coach um oh, yeah. he basically um i believe he ankle breaks them and then does like a dramatic step over it's, it's, a, it's just disrespectful so just a little coaching here for, you know, cub journalists. I don't know if this person's a cub journalist, but this is why there's a little animosity between tech press and tech, uh, you know, leadership is because you don't need to dunk at this time. Like, I don't right know, at, I don't at, know if this, this is why. I will say most outlets are not allowing this level of dunking. I think it's more the heightened scrutiny, I would it, argue. It's both things. It's both yes, things. it might be both things. I will say we are uh, gearing up for a time of much dunking and much commentary on tech CEOs, one in particular, because there's also reporting today from CNBC, breaking news as of this morning that says Mm -hmm. that Elon Musk is planning to serve as temporary Twitter CEO, following the takeover, meaning that he will likely be the one to execute any of these layoffs should they occur. There you go. um, And taking all the fire for it. Okay. Yeah. Great. So Parag Agrawal, we should note just as by way of background, Ha- is the current CEO of Twitter. He has only held that position for six months. So this is also sort of subtly a, a, an announcement that he is out in some way. We don't know what way. 
Um, but we do know you that. Know. Maybe he sticks around for a year and, uh, you know, because was he previously the CTO or the VP of engineering? I can't remember. I think he was. Uh, I think it was CTO. CTO. Yeah. So he can stick around for six months or be a consultant. Who knows? <laughs> I have no inside information. Yeah. Um, but um, great. Uh, I yeah. think that is if you're going to buy something this big and put this much of your net worth and reputation on the line, he should be CEO. He's got to uncover what's going on there. And there's a group of people who will be very inspired to work there as him CEO. There might be conversely a group of people who don't want to work for him, um, which will set a culture and the a culture needs to be set there. Um, because the culture has, according to all the CEOs, according to Jack and everybody, the culture has meandered, right? There hasn't been uh, a wartime CEO there ever. Mm -hmm. uh, as one person described it to me, like a series of CEOs who, you know, maybe couldn't make um, decisive decisions, or maybe there yeah. wasn't as decisive a decision making structure. And Jack sort of hinted at that, didn't he that the board was always like pushing them in one direction when the product vision needed to go a different direction. And so there does need to be a strong hand at the wheel. Uh, there's going to need to be a culture that is uh, established, reestablished, rebooted, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's what Elon will bring to the table. For Matt Levine, I don't know if you um, read yeah. him, but the, he had yeah, that great, great uh, <clears throat> email newsletter guy. Yeah. Amazing Bloomberg. newsletter. And he had a remarkable yeah. one the other day where he was sort of taking apart Parag's statement about uh, two yes. Twitter employees about why, you know, they voted for this purchase. And the response was basically like, well, it was good for the shareholders. And he just he just had like paragraph after paragraph that essentially is, uh, resulted in the same outcome, which is like, it seems like everybody who works at Twitter doesn't give a about Twitter. All of the executives at Twitter can't be bothered to say this is a really, you know, impactful product. It's really important to the world. Like they just sure one Interesting assumes inside. Yeah. But, and, and just says, you know, Twitter's board gave up. It was really remarkable. And, and he sort of said, like, you know. Tesla, Amazon, like these are not companies or who have CEOs that are just like our fiduciary duty is to maximize the shareholder returns at all. Yes. And as a result, those companies are returning wild returns to their investors, unlike Twitter, which has had a series of leadership that barely uses the product. I mean, but I made that point many times, like, yeah. you know, and I think that is why he will be a great CEO. He's in, he understands, loves, and uses the product. Has, you know, absolutely built the most important car company in the history of cars, perhaps uh, since Ford, I guess, uh, or Mercedes. I'm not sure who is the most important car company in history or how you would judge that, but certainly he's one of the most important, if not the most important car company in the world. And he's done it with no advertising budget. And, I, you know, we would, I think, all agree that his ability to engage socially on Twitter has been a big part of landing employees, customers, and building those brands. Uh, and his personal branding and the fact that he does customer support uh, yeah. on Twitter all day long. And, and obviously, we're friends. And, you know, like, you if I'm... Because I would, I think you, you don't have to say, but I will say he has also occasionally lost customers on Twitter. Yeah, maybe, you know, take the good with the bad. So it is what it is. You know, if you don't like his style, you don't. And you buy your car based on that. And then it's probably people, AOC uh, at least drove a Tesla for some period of time. And she don't like them. <laughs> I know, drove a Tesla for some period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, his, his style, as he said on Saturday Night Live, like, well, yeah, I'm, I, I'm a little strange. <laughs> right. If you I'm haven't been saying, paying attention, it's, you do take exactly the good with the bad. Normal... And we have to at least point that out that there is yes. a there is a universe in which you when you drive a Tesla, 
feel that you have to apologize or Cinderella for some of those things on Twitter. Like it's they're they're inextricably linked, is what I'm trying know. to say. I think the you guy can drive, is I think inextricably you can drive linked from the car. I think a lot of I think you could still drive the car and enjoy it and not worry about it. You know, <laughs> you'd be amazed. But Come to Oakland, ama- I know my some people it is. Come uh, to Oakland with her. Yeah, for some people um, it's a, it is a thing. I, you let's know, very quickly because we have we? I have another interview right after this. But let's talk oh. about the money real quick behind Twitter. Oh, yes. so, so and this go. purchase because there have been some in, some rumblings that not all of the money has been secured and what's going to come next. And then there is an SEC filing revealing where some of the money has currently come from. Uh, it revealed that he, Musk has raised $7 billion in capital for this takeover from 18 investors who include Larry Ellison, who committed a yep. billion dollars, Sequoia Capital, Vi Capital, Binance, A16, um, and The Prince. The largest investor in the disclosure was Saudi Prince Al-Walid, pledging to roll over $1.7 billion in shares. So I guess he was not mad shares. about the tweet. So just to clarify... The Saudi prince is the only rollover. Al Walid apparently saying I mean, he would roll over his existing shares to contribute to this purchase. All the others are new capital. And I think there could be more to come, is my guess. So who knows what date was this filed? And I wonder what date this was, you know, um, what date this was locked. Because mm-hmm. now that this list is out here, it's quite possible that somebody who uh, owns a certain amount of shares might want to roll over. Or new investors, you know, other sovereign wealth funds might look at this. I think Elon can 10x the company. That's, uh, and I think that's probably what the investors believe. Uh, a two, three X, I think will be a layup for Elon. I think a 10x uh, will be quite possible. There's no reason it can't be a four or $500 billion company. Um, there's that potential there. And certainly it's going to throw off massive profits at some point if they can change the cost structure a bit. Uh, 8,000 employees, whatever thousands of um, freelancers, contributors, contractors could, you know, I don't know. I, I've heard uh, it could be done with half or less, just like Google could be done with probably 80% or less. I'm talking about public statements by over the years. Um, that's what analysts who wanted Twitter to be profitable were speculating. You know, if you, if you have half the number of people this thing would be a money printing machine, it would look totally different. And you need to have momentum in a business as we're seeing with uh, Uber, Lyft and Airbnb. We talked about yesterday, Molly, you know, they really took uh, layoffs, cost cutting, getting rid of spending on driver perks, all this stuff, right, Molly, they, they, they took out of the business to have discipline to show that it could reach profitability. uh, And that free cash flow will arrive. What what does that do? It built confidence in the business uh, and the whole dialogue on CNBC today, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it uh, in between we're taping our podcast or whatever. And uh, people were picking Uber and Airbnb as their stocks of the day or their picks because mm-hmm. they were saying, listen, management. Because they heard our show. This, they heard our show. But they were also mm-hmm. just looking at the numbers and saying, hey, Matt, this is great management. Look at all the signal from management that they get it. The signal. Yeah. The intentionality intentionality you know a plan being executed by a group of people that's in the best interest of the customers the shareholders and the employees and so back to that uh is it matt levine's comment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know he's right in that like they're not talking about the product its place in the world and the customers they're talking just about the shareholders 
you actually have to keep three things in mind running these businesses. Yes. I got my employees here who have to build a product that hits customers. Okay, those two things, you have to get right. And we've talked about this in early stage investing, right? I always talk about like, who's the team? What's the product? How, what do the customers think about the product? Let's talk about that first. And then we can talk about everything else. And mm -hmm. the founders who talk about their team, their customer and their product, 90% of the time seem to be for me the ones that win. And then you'll meet some founders who are talking about everything but their team, customers and products. They're talking about the market, the competitors, how bad this competing product is, you know, some who's the mafia award, who's the mafia, <laughs> who yeah. they're mad at, yeah, who they're mad at, you know, all the stuff that is not the customer, uh, that is not the product. And, you know, finally, shareholders, yes, you have to have all three of these people, investors, customers, employees, the team, all of that has to remain in your brain at the same time, you have to be having all of those things dialed in. And you have to continue to improve those things, which is you're seeing me at work here, uh, you know, running this company. What do you see me focus on? Yeah. Who's Everything. our customer? Yeah. Well, but but really, what's what are we focused on? Who's the customer? Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the customer is the founders listening to the show and the founders we invest in. Okay. And who's on the team? Well, we added Molly Wood this year. We added Mike Savino and we added this person. We added this person, Justin, Rachel. Okay. And we're mentoring those people, right? Professional development. We're trying to make them better at their jobs. Okay. Mm -hmm. Check. Check the product. I'm sorry. Check the customer. Check the product. Uh, check the team and now we look at the product okay mm -hmm. vc sunday school uh, rachel reporting okay boomer launch streaming meetups we're, we're thinking about this product this week in startups the yeah. noties doing it live we're really thinking about what's the well, product. we're never done we're never done well, like it seemed like done? twitter got to a point where they yes. were done they were just yeah, like yeah, exactly. it's like like craigslist right like craigslist has looked the same eBay. since we were babies on the internet yeah. ebay yeah. same never yeah. be done and Amazon, yeah. exactly. Amazon is also like the same for like way too long now. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? <laughs> you look at that Amazon basics list. I don't know if that was Monday we talked Very about that or last true. week. And you go down that Amazon basics, it's like, they're like, here's UI every style point. of wrench and wrench. And I'm like, does Amazon need to make a wrench? I don't well, think so. Well, and also so. Amazon was like, we might be done sort of, hmm. but we're stealing all these products and then we're building AWS. Yeah. So they weren't done exactly. either. And maybe you look at Lyft, right? And their problems, like what's the latest feature a product from Lyft. Right. I can't name it. Right. Uh, you talk to me I mean, about uh, Uber. I can tell you like they're doing um, uh, grocery and convenience stores and they have Uber One uh, and they're doing Uber experiences and restaurants and making a super app. So I can literally tell you the roadmap because the CEO is talking about that, right? Yeah. Okay, let's and go to same Twitter. with Airbnb. Well, He's like, we're Airbnb. moving in this direction. We're going to handle new it this way. Dropping, We've got right? a new thing dropping. Like, it this may feel like exhausting advice to you founders and humans yeah. in the world but what you are now is not how no you credit. should stay it yeah, is no you get no credit for it and it's not how you can remain you have I, I to literally, keep moving or you will be disrupted and killed it's just such a great observation and point you're making because i am always telling people please no credit for what's in the review mirror please that please look through the windshield now, I'm not saying that Craigslist is not a money-making machine. It has been. The thing is printed money. But if you look at marketplaces, like the Facebook marketplace is doing pretty darn good. Um, and Nextdoor, like I don't use Craigslist. I use Nextdoor, Facebook marketplace. Well, and I like, think if you were to look at Craigslist metrics, it peaked like four years ago. If uh, this is right, this is AIM Group Marketplaces Report. 
Revenue, let's see, bounced back in 2021 due to the hot job market, but is still down more than a third from its pre-pandemic total of a billion dollars annually. Okay, so I don't. who knows if that's pandemic related? Uh, I would be very yeah. interested in seeing where Facebook Marketplace and Nextdoor were mm-hmm. introduced here and the mm-hmm. impact those two have had because those and those two are basically straight up trying to compete there. Yeah. Um, all right. Anyway, I think we did I have enough to go show do today. a super cool interview. So we have oh. to go now. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the pod next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>